I've been waiting for that bumper video to play for like seven weeks. And uh, last week, if you were with us, we had to kind of scramble really quick because we had um, already made the announcement that we were moving into a new facility, but then we had a couple hiccups along the way. And then uh, we couldn't meet at the school because uh, if you didn't know, they gave us the first two uh, months rent free. They kind of moved it to the end of our lease. So we get to save money these next two months. And just to meet one week at the school was over $800. And so for us, time was money at that point, And we have to renovate this place. If you're kind of sitting in here going, well, this is ugly. You're right. Um, we've got to renovate this thing. We've got to put carpet in. We'll take you to the other half here in just a little bit so you can see. We've only occupied about 50% of the space so, so far. Um, but we've got a whole other half that we have to renovate, put walls up, doors, and everything. So uh, by saving money, by not meeting at the school, that provides some resources to begin those projects as well. And so I've been really looking forward to doing this uh, as well. And it's your lucky day. Uh, Pastor Joe told me that I had to preach an abbreviated message because we want to allow you time at the end of this just to, again, take you to the other side, just to walk around and just get a sense, and just to pray over this, pro- this property, this space, um, but to be able to ask questions as well and say, hey, what's going to be going on here? Hey, have you considered this as well? And we want to take everything into consideration before we move forward with all of these projects. So um, technically, we were in week two of this series. I'll be home for Christmas. Uh, And I'm just, I'm excited about this. Like I said, Christmas is my favorite time of year, if you didn't know that. Um, I've decorated the outside of my house. i got a real Christmas tree in my house right now. Christmas music is playing at my home 24-7 as of this moment. And uh, the reason I love Christmas And we'll get into Luke chapter 2 here in just a moment if you want to go ahead and turn there. The reason that I love Christmas, and Christians too, is that nostalgic feeling that's associated with the Christmas season. I love personally thinking back on all the memories that I had growing up around the Christmas season and the Christmas holiday. That time from right the day after Thanksgiving up until December 25th is always my favorite time of the year. And I was thinking this past week, just some of the the memories that I have growing up. I remember at seven years old when my mom would finally allow me to sleep in a sleeping bag right next to the Christmas tree on Christmas Eve. Because I hoped and I prayed every Christmas Eve for the next few years that maybe, just maybe, I could catch Santa Claus in the act. If you've seen the the movie The Santa Claus, I also believe that I could beat him up, take his clothes, and become Santa. But that's a whole, (laughs) whole different story. I was young then. I've matured now. Um, I remember going to Christmas Eve service at First Baptist Church in Lancaster, Ohio, the church I grew up in. In Christmas Eve service, we have a few of you that grew up at those services as well that are part of this church now. Every year, it was the same. Nothing changed. It was identical service every year, but I loved that. I remember every Christmas Eve growing up after Christmas Eve service, we would go to my parents' house where we obviously lived, and my mom had spent the entire day preparing all of these appetizers, and we'd have people from church over after Christmas Eve service for a few hours just to hang out and be together. And to this day, you can ask my wife, every Christmas Eve, I have to eat appetizers, even if they're the frozen TGI Friday stuff that you pop in the microwave. I have to eat those. And my last favorite memory is every Christmas Eve, I got to open one present. I'm sure many of you did or still do this. One present, and it was always what my grandmother, who lived in Iowa, would send me. I remember at 16 years old, my grandma started to kind of lose her mind about when I was 16 years old. She sent me this car with a note that said, I got you a car for Christmas. And I'm not sure if she was being serious or not, but I just remember that remote control car for Christmas on my 16th birthday. I didn't want that at 16. I didn't know if my grandma was making a joke or not, but I still played with that thing because grandma sent it to me. 
You see, there's something special about when we look back and reflect on those nostalgic feelings, those familiar times that we walked through in the Christmas season. And last week, if you were with us at our home, we looked at Matthew chapter 1, the familiar story of Jesus' birth announcement when the angel Gabriel came and said that the Savior was going to be coming into the world, that familiar story that we hear every Christmas season. And we saw in that story how we could see God's grace sprinkled through every portion of that announcement, where he was just proclaiming his grace into the world that the Savior was coming. And today I want us to look in Luke chapter 2, again, another familiar Christmas story. And let's put some fresh eyes to it. Maybe we'll see something that we haven't noticed before, not new truth, but maybe something new that I've never noticed before. And I want us to focus in on one word. Last week our word was grace, God's grace in Matthew 1. Today, I want us to see God's faithfulness in Luke 2. And I want us to focus in on that word faithful, specifically God's faithfulness. So if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word, and then we'll, let's read these first seven verses together. God's word says this, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town, and Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and who was pregnant. Verse 6, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And then she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him tightly in cloth, laid him in a manger because there was no guest room, there was no room for them in the end. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for this time together, God, for this time we have in your word today. And God, I pray now as we walk through this familiar story, Lord, as we said just a moment ago, give us fresh eyes on this story. God, I pray that in this story we can see your faithfulness woven throughout this passage. And God, that we could leave here, Lord, with just a, a fresh and renewed understanding of the significance that is found in the Christmas story. Jesus, thanks for your word. Thank you that it's alive and active, and because of that, it changes us, and we pray that it does that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Y'all, this is the first time I get to preach in this, this room, and I'm pumped out of my mind, so let's roll. All right, let's see God's faith, the faithfulness in God's timing. The faithfulness in God's timing here in Luke chapter 2. I don't know about you, but I'm not a patient person. Right? I think we could all, if we raised hands, we won't do that because then we can judge each other. I don't want to do that today. But we are not patient people. Like, I know this for a fact because I've driven behind some of you in traffic. I've seen what happens when somebody cuts you off or they go too slow in your driving. That's why at Living Hope Columbus, if this is your first time with us, um, we actually don't encourage you to put Jesus fish on the back of your car. And we don't offer Living Hope Columbus stickers because I know the people in my church, Right? <laughs> You get stuck in traffic, some of y'all start speaking other languages and using sign language. Don't act like you don't. Me and Pastor Joe will be available if you need to talk later. You go to a restaurant and your food takes longer than you think that it should, and what happens? There goes their tip, right? We're not patient people. Even the invention of the microwave, which I'm sure every one of us has one of those on a countertop or hung somewhere in your kitchen, is further proof that we are not patient people. God forbid I wait 16 minutes for a pizza when I can put one in the microwave for one minute, right? We're not patient. And we've been conditioned in our culture to not like waiting. We don't want to wait on anything. Yet here's the strange paradox that's found in Scripture. 
God often does his best work in our waiting. We are impatient, but God does his best work in our waiting. Think about Luke chapter 2 specifically here. God made his very first announcement that a Messiah was coming into the world. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, right after Adam and Eve had chosen to disobey God, eat of the fruit, sin enters the world. God pronounces a curse upon man, woman, and the serpent. And in Genesis 3, verse 15, God makes the claim that someday a Messiah was going to come to save his people and crush the head of Satan. You know from Genesis 3.15 to what we see taking place here in Matthew 1 and Luke 1 in the beginning of the Gospels, 4,000 years has passed. God made his people wait over 4,000 years. I was thinking about that this week. Can you imagine waiting for a promise across multiple generations before it actually comes true? having to trust that God is going to come through with something, waiting generations for it, knowing that your ancestors trusted Him to do this. But it took 4,000 years for that to happen. Right here in Luke chapter, or chapter 2, verse 1, Luke writes, in those days. That's a significant phrase that if you underline or highlight in your Bible, do that. It's a reminder that God, the cliche is, God is always on time and He's never late for anything. He knows exactly what he's doing. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul wrote about this in Galatians chapter 4, a pretty significant verse. Galatians 4, verse 4, Paul said these words. Verse 4, when the time came to completion, God sent his son into the world. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Notice that phrase, when the time came to completion. Why was this the time that God chose to send Jesus into the world? Why did he wait 4,000 years? If we're honest, we're not really positive. But we can make some assumptions about this. I think first it was the right political time. In this time, the Romans were controlling the majority of the known world. So that was important. That was an important political aspect for early Christians to be able to get the gospel further faster. It was the right geographical time because the Romans were controlling the known world. Access to other cities and areas of the world was quicker and faster for the spread of the gospel. Matthew 28, Acts 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and the rest of the book because Rome controlled so much. But also this, it was the right time because of the physical longing of God's people. Do you know from Micah, the last book in the Old Testament, to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where we see the story of, of God's story really pick back up. From Micah to the Gospels, 400 years had passed. And in that 400 years, God didn't say a word. Can you imagine? Multiple generations pass, and they haven't heard from God anymore. God's people had developed these religious systems, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, really just manipulating and controlling people. It was a whole mess. People were longing for this Messiah. Galatians 4.4 4 says, and the time came to completion. Luke 2.1 says, in those days, God chose the perfect time. What's the application for us on this first couple verses? It's this. Friends, remember, in your life personally, the Christmas story reminds us that God sees the end when I'm still in the beginning. And the roller coaster, the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows of life where things are confusing, we're wondering where is he, why is he silent, why isn't he saying anything? God, I don't know what you want me to do. I'm confused, I'm hurt, I'm aching. Lord, what now? The Christmas story reminds us that in Genesis 3.15, God already knew there'd be a Luke 2. 
And because of that, I can trust him. Why? Because he's faithful. And he's faithful to me. Second point we see in the Christmas story. We see faithfulness in the process. It's the reminder that in every victory, God can use every victory in my life to accomplish his purpose in me. God can use every pain in my life to accomplish his purpose in me. God can use every situation in my life to accomplish his purpose in me. Why? It's our phrase, because he's faithful. And if he's faithful, I can trust him. No matter what I go through, even if it doesn't make sense and it hurts, I can trust God because he's going to use those things to get me where he wants me to go. This, oh, this is my favorite part of the, the Christmas story. Think about this verse, Micah 5.2. A prophetic statement written by the prophet Micah hundreds of years before Luke 2 happens. And in Micah 5.2, Micah wrote these words from God, that the Messiah would be born in a town called Bethlehem. Think about this. Why didn't God just pick some lady that already lived in Bethlehem? You ever thought about that? Mary was living in Nazareth. Micah 5.2 said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Why didn't God just roll up to, to Bethlehem, town of a few thousand people? It wasn't huge, but I'm sure there was a lot of pretty awesome ladies there, and God could have came to any one of them and used them to be the, the, the lady that brought the Messiah into the world. But he didn't. He chose Mary, who lived in Nazareth. Why did he do that? Because I think God in Luke 2, in these few verses, I'm going to show you here in just a second why I believe this, gives us a bird's eye view on that no matter what situation comes my way, no matter what hurt and pain comes my way, no matter what confusion comes my way, that he's still in control of everything when it doesn't make sense. Think about this, Micah 5.2. I want to show you what, what God does here in this story. God chooses Mary to be the mother of Jesus. We saw that in Matthew 1 last week. Here's what's significant. Mary was an ancestor of the family line of King David, Old Testament king, greatest king to ever walk the face of the earth. Why does that matter? Because there's a prophetic statement in Matthew 1, we see Gabriel confirm it, that from King David's line, the Messiah would be born. So if Mary was from King David's line, by Mary being the mother of Jesus, guess what? Jesus is from the line of King David. That's pretty significant. But now Mary's engaged to Joseph. There's going to be a lot here, so just follow with me. Mary's from King David's line. Mary gets engaged to Joseph. Once they're engaged, the Bible word is betrothed, similar to our engagement. Gabriel comes to Mary and says, hey, I know it's a Friday afternoon. You're probably just going to watch a movie tonight and eat popcorn. Um, change of plans. Um, you're going to bring the Messiah into the world. Congratulations, right? It's a little bit more intense than that, but that's just that's the Aaron's translation. So Mary's now going to have a baby engaged to Joseph. Before she knew she was going to have this baby, Talk about confusion. Talk about what the heck's going on. I thought I was just marrying a carpenter. Now I'm going to be bringing the Savior of the world into the world. <laughs> Your Friday changed. Weekend's going to be different. All right? Why does that matter? Watch this. Joseph lived in Nazareth too. Engaged couple. Imagine what's going through Joseph's mind. We think about that every Christmas. We don't know much about Joseph, but I can't imagine what's going through his mind. Mary comes up to him. Hey, Joseph, I'm having a baby. Oh, okay. It's not mine. It's God's. Get out. <laughs> you know? So confusing. But Joseph was a righteous man, and he didn't disown Mary. He didn't divorce her. He stayed married to her. It's incredible. We could talk all day on that. Joseph lives in Nazareth, too. Here's what's really neat. In Matthew chapter 1, guess whose family line Joseph is also from? David. Why is that significant? Because Mary was from David's line, the Messiah was born into the world through David's lineage. Because Joseph was from David's line, 
That was the avenue in which God would get Mary to Bethlehem. Why? Because God then took a pagan king. Don't tell me God can't use anything because he can. A pagan ruler named Caesar Augustus, an evil man, to issue a census. The census would always say when they issued a census that you had to return to the hometown of your ancestors. Where was that for Joseph since he was from David's line too? Bethlehem. Mary, if she was single, would have had to return there. That's important. But because she was married to Joseph too, now they have to go there together to Bethlehem. And verse 6 in this chapter says, and while they were there. I can imagine Luke, if we would put that in our modern translation, it would simply say, hey, it just so happened that while they were in Bethlehem, it was time to give birth. You know, God didn't send them to Bethlehem when she was six months pregnant, when she was two months pregnant. It was right at the end of her pregnancy he used a pagan king to send her to Bethlehem to ensure that Micah 5.2 would come true and the prophetic statement about Jesus would come to pass. What's the application there? God, I don't get it. God, it's confusing. God, what are you doing around me? Lord, the situation doesn't make sense. Here's the application. If I could only see what he sees. Friends, we live on the street level view of this reality. God has the bird's eye view. If I'm at street level, it means I know what was behind me, but I can only see what's right in front of me. When I have the bird's eye view, I can see the past, the present, and the future all at the exact same time. That's where our God sits. Why does he show us this in Luke 2? It's the reminder, trust the process, even in the pain and the victory. Understand he's got the bird's eye view when I got the street level view. Here's our last one and we're done. We see God's faithfulness in his purpose. What's God's ultimate purpose for my life? It's to know him and to be like him. That's what God wants for you. That is his will for you, to know Jesus and to be like Jesus. But we know, according to this book, that that only happens. That only happens through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's how my relationship to know God is restored, and that's how the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in me to make me more like Jesus. It only happens if Jesus died and was resurrected. Man, this is so cool. We see that foreshadowed in this story. And I've never noticed that until a couple weeks ago. Watch this. Verse 7. Mary's in Bethlehem. And then it says, Then she gave birth to her firstborn son. That's Jesus. We've seen this before. You probably have the nativity at your house. Maybe you saw the movie The Star last Christmas. It was wonderful. Go see it. All right? She gave birth to Jesus. And then what happens here? And she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger. We have probably heard that hundreds of times if you've ever been to a Christmas Eve service at a church before. Wrapped him in cloth, laid him in a manger. That is so significant because that foreshadows the death of Jesus. You're thinking, what? How in the heck does that foreshadow the death of Jesus? Turn with me to Luke chapter 23 real quick. God does nothing by accident, friends, and I want us to see this. Luke chapter 23, verses 53 and 54. Jesus has hung on the, uh, the cross, nails in his hands, his feet. They beat him. He's, he's dead now. Let's start in verse 52. So he approached Pilate, right? So this is Joseph of Arimathea. Approached Pilate and he asked for Jesus' body. Jesus already cried, it is finished. He's, he's dead, all right? He's dead. Asked for Jesus' body. Verse 53. So taking it down, here's our phrase. Joseph wrapped it in what? Cloth. And placed him where? In a tomb. You see, at his birth, what was happening? He was wrapped in a cloth and laid in a manger. 
At his death, what happened? He was wrapped in a cloth and laid in a tomb. Do you see the foreshadowing picture there that God gives us? Even at his birth, friends, words are important in the scriptures. Even at his birth, we see the foreshadowing of what would take place with the death of Jesus. Why did Jesus have to die? Why do we have to see his death at his birth? Because that's why he came. Because it's only if he dies that I can have a relationship with God and become more like Jesus. That's the only way I can know God again is through the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's our phrase this morning. What do we see in Luke chapter 2 in the Christmas story? God is faithful. You can trust him. In the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs, and the roller coasters of emotions that we all face, God is faithful. I want to make this super personal. I don't remember if I shared this or not, but I was thinking about this last night. Three years ago, three years ago, when this church was just an idea, I had felt called to plant a church 12 years ago but I didn't know what that would look like. I conned Joe into doing it with me. I, somehow his wife agreed. I still am not really sure how that all worked out. And we knew God was calling us to do this. And before we had even, I think we had maybe met in my living room a couple times, Joe and I would drive all down in this area, like looking at like buildings and properties and facilities and think, oh man, that'd make a good church. That'd make a good church. That'd make a good church. You know, the first place ever three years ago that we stepped foot in, you're sitting in it. It was in this complex right here. I thought back on that last night as I'm putting the final touches on this, and I'm thinking, every beat of sweat was worth it. Every frustrating encounter that we had at the school, some things that we've never even shared. Every time that we were starting to wonder, okay, is this really going to work? And to stand in this room today and to think to myself, three years ago, God knew where we would be on December 8th, 2019, even when I had no clue. Why? Because he's faithful. And I can trust him. And often faith only makes sense that way. You see, if I understood everything at this point in my journey and I knew what everything ahead of me was going to look like, that's not faith. Faith looks back on what God has done and trusts his character from then to propel me into what's next. Friends, let that serve as a reminder today. God is faithful. This isn't the end of our journey. This is only the next step, and he's going to take us to where he wants us to go now. Why? Because the Christmas story reminds me that he's faithful. I'm going to invite Pastor Joe and Seth back up to lead in a closing song. Let me pray for us. Father, thanks so much again for this day, Jesus. God, for just the the privilege we've had to to be here. God, the privilege we've had to to hear your word. God, I pray here that that, that we leave here encouraged. Father, that this Christmas season, that we would be encouraged, that the Christmas story not only reminds us of your grace that we saw last week, but it reminds us of your faithfulness, that we can trust you with every step of the way, even when we don't understand it. We love you, Jesus. Thanks for being faithful. In your name we pray. Amen.